Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. Well, y'all, welcome to church. So glad y'all are here. Today, we're going to continue our replay of the series, Different. And I know everybody in this room knows me because you guys are the snow crowd. Although that's the weakest bit of snow that I've ever seen. Goodness gracious, we need more than that. But if you're joining online, I want to say hey to you too. Thanks for being with us. Um, if you're new here, if you're joining for the first time, uh, we just want to say you're always welcome to be with us. We love to have you. This is a place to come and find out how to make a difference for the kingdom of God, right? All right. So before we get into the message today, I want, you to remind, I want to remind you of something that the Holy Spirit gave us about the new year. Anybody remember what the new year is going to be about? Yes. That's awesome, babe. You get an A plus today. This year is all about team. There's going to be a special anointing this year for those who choose to work together. And this anointing will not exist for those who try to do it alone. And I've spent many years trying to do it alone, and it's not fun anyway, so don't even try that. It's not worth it. But this isn't about what I can, I can do. This isn't about what you can do. This is about what we can do together. That's what this year is about. And it's also the year that we learn how to access heaven. Because if you remember when Jesus taught us to pray, he said to pray that your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth, as it is in heaven. And the question is, how do we access heaven? And I told you guys this last week, but it's really simple. We access heaven by letting the Lord access earth through us. We say yes to spiritual gifts. We say yes to healing. We say yes to God's promises. We say yes to God's assignments. And most of all, we say yes to the body of Christ and work together as a team for his kingdom to come on the earth. It's coming, y'all. It's coming. Well, this past Friday, Beth and I went to uh, Post Oak Lodge, Lodge in Tulsa. Has anybody ever been there before? No, it's a really cool place, and it's kind of hard to find. Uh, they, they don't have very good advertising. I need to help them out with that, because <laughs> the place should be full. It's really great. But we went for a little getaway for her birthday. Happy birthday, babe. Once again, you're as old as I am. She always likes to say she's younger, but only by four months. But Saturday morning, we got up, and we walked into the main lodge where they were serving breakfast, and we walked into a dining room that was set up for about 100 people, and we thought, wow, like, this is so nice. It was a little confusing, though, because it didn't seem like very many people were at the lodge. Like, in our, where we were staying, there was 18 rooms, and only two of them were full. It was us and, and another person in there. So it's like, why would they set up for 100 people? But we were just impressed that they would go through so much work for just a few of us to come eat breakfast. And so we grabbed our food. We sat down. We were the first ones there. And then an older couple walked in shortly after us, and they fixed their plates. And in a room full of open tables, they look at us, and they walk over, and they say, can we sit with you guys? Uh, okay, yeah, sure. And uh, they sat down, and we did the normal introduction thing, and we noticed they had name tags on. And so we were like, well, are you guys here for some type of meeting or something? And they looked back at us, and they said, wait, wait, you're, you're not here for the meeting? And we're like, no, we're just here to hang out for the weekend. And they looked at each other, and they laughed, and they said, you probably thought it was really strange that we came and asked to sit by you. And we're like, yeah, yeah, that was kind of strange, but uh, we don't mind. We don't mind. We're glad. And at this point, people started to flow into the room, and it was set up for about 100 people, you know, like I told you about earlier. And guess what? In about 15 minutes, there were 100 people <laughs> in the room with us. Turns out Beth and I were party crashers yesterday. <laughs> but hey, we got a good breakfast out of the deal. Huh? It was really good. So it was a conference for doctors. And I was in my sweats. <laughs> and the couple we were sitting with, 
they were the main speakers for the event. <laughs> so the whole time, people are looking at us at our table, and they're like, who are these people sitting with our main speakers? Who are these people? But we actually ended up talking to them for about an hour, and we found out that they were medical missionaries for over 30 years, and we got to hear their stories, and it was just, yeah, it was really cool. Found out that they used the same homeschool curriculum uh, that we do, and it was just a really cool conversation. But he asked, uh, he asked me, he's like, well, how did your church do through COVID? Because I was telling him that I was a pastor. I said, well, there was some challenging seasons, but overall, we really prospered through the whole thing, and I'm really grateful for that. And he was just really shocked, because his church in California, they split because of the mask debacle, you know, because they didn't agree on the whole mask issue, and the church just fell apart. But he was, he was just like, wow, it's really great to hear that that didn't happen to every church. He was just really thankful to hear. And I want you guys to know that I'm, I'm thankful for you guys, because it's a great testimony that we have here that No Limits Church survived the last two years of, of this craziness that's going on out there. And we still have a smile on our faces, you know? We still like each other. I mean, there's, that, it's just awesome. I'm really grateful um, for what God has done here, and we should be too. All right, let's get into the message for today. I just had to tell you that funny story because that's just not something that happens to you every day. Next time I'm at a hotel or something, I am not going to breakfast in my sweats, just in case. I will get dressed this time. (laughs) All right, so in this series, we're working through the book of John, so we make sure that we know what it really looks like to follow Jesus. Because American Christianity paints this picture of Jesus as like this politically correct, super nice guy. You know, he doesn't require too much of you, and well, you know, we've actually been duped, right? And it makes us quite ineffective as the body of Christ when we don't know who we're following. And last week we discovered two things about following Jesus. And number one was to follow Jesus, I must embrace grace and truth. Because we have a tendency to want to embrace one or the other. Some are on the grace side of things and they think that you should never try to lead somebody out of sin. And then other people are on the truth side of things and they use their Bible to beat people up right? But to follow the example of Jesus, we got to become masters at bringing grace and truth together. Always, always having both. And here's the second thing. To follow Jesus, I must use spiritual gifts to reach people. But the problem we face today is that we think that we're so sophisticated that we don't need spiritual gifts. We have all this technology in our buildings and our great kids programs. Y'all, who needs spiritual gifts? Who needs them? And on top of this, we're obsessed with being normal. And spiritual gifts aren't normal. They're different. They're, they're different. So we tend to neglect them in order not to run people off, but we're actually running people off by not using them. Because if Jesus needed spiritual gifts to reach people, we need spiritual gifts to reach people. Come on. And they're not even as weird as you think. And to give you an example, I can remember a time when Noah was a newborn. He's born, he's almost going to be a year old. I can't believe that's like flew by. But I remember when he was a newborn, we wanted some quiet. He just wanted to be fussy. Anybody know the story? Like, babies just do that. And we had tried just about everything, and nothing was working. And then a picture dropped in my mind of him sitting in his chair uh, next to our bed. I was like, well, that's a stupid idea if I've ever had one. And then I remembered about spiritual gifts and thought, well, maybe, maybe this is a word of knowledge. I'll give it a shot. What have I got to lose? He's fussy anyway. So I put his little chair next to our bed. I sat him in it, and guess what? He's quiet. I don't know why. But the Holy Spirit helped me with that. So the Holy Spirit wants to do this for you too. Y'all, spiritual gifts aren't just for church. Spiritual gifts are for every day of your life. And they enable you to reach people, even your newborn. Because God cares about your newborn, and he cares about your sanity too. He'll help you out. So we've already discovered that Jesus is not quite what American Christianity makes him out to be. And today, I just want to take it a step further. I want to keep pushing into that. Because there was a time when Jesus ran people away from the church 
with a whip. Quite shocking to say the least, so let's dig into what happened. John chapter 2, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. And in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. We no longer have to sacrifice animals for forgiveness of sins. Anybody thankful for that? But it's hard to understand the significance of this story if you don't understand the difference between then and now. You see, back then, people would sin just like us. They would lie, they would cheat, they would steal, they would participate in sexual immorality. I mean, the whole bit. They would do it all. And as we know, sin separates us from God, and it also leads to the destruction of our community. I mean, if everybody was stealing from each other in here, how healthy do you think our church would be? And we already see how destructive, widespread sexual immorality is on a nation, right? It just kind of tears a nation apart. But God right? But God, God loves us. He wants to be close to us, but he also knows we're not very good at living without sin on our own. So he has to make a way to help us. And before Jesus, God made a way for these people through animal sacrifice. Those who sin would have to kill an animal to cover their sin. And the death of the animal was representative of how sin leads to death. It was also a substitute for the person who sinned because the animal died in their place. Y'all, we deserve eternal death because of our sin. That's what we deserve. But God loves us too much to just sit back and let it happen. So leading up to Jesus, God made a way through animal sacrifice. That's what it was all about. So animals were regularly sold at the temple to help people make a sacrifice and cover for their sin. That's what was going on here in this scripture. This is just normal, everyday activity for the temple back then. If we lived back then, that's what you'd be coming to church to do, to buy your animals and to sacrifice your animals. Aren't you glad it's a little bit different today? So let's take a look at what happens next. Jesus made a whip from some ropes, and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the money changers' coins on the floor, and he turned over their tables. Then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Okay. This is a little bit perplexing. I mean, first of all, this is not the calm, politically correct Jesus that American Christianity makes him out to be. And secondly, animal sacrifices were provided and mandated by God to help these people cover their sin. Why is Jesus so upset about what's going on? It's tempting to oversimplify this scripture and say, you know, Jesus just didn't want people buying and selling at the temple. After all, money's evil, right? I mean, that's, that sounds good, especially when we have a warped perspective of how God sees money, which I hope none of you have anymore after that nine-week series or whatever we did on money. And trust me, we'll be going back to that because I ain't done yet. We're just taking a little break here. But most people accept that as the thought and the meaning of this story, and they just move on. But the problem is animal sacrifices were mandated by the law of Moses and designed by God. Not everyone back then had their own animals. So what are we going to do here? Are they just sunk for, to eternal death because they don't have their own animals? No. There are people who provided the animals. So I don't think Jesus is really upset about the fact that people are buying and selling animals for sacrifices. This has been going on for a long time. There has to be more to what meets the eye. And if you do some research, you discover two interesting points. Animals have to be without blemish to be sacrificed. So that means somebody has to inspect them before the sacrifice. And number two, secular coins were not accepted when you were buying these animals. So it had to be exchanged for Jewish currency before they could go and buy their animals for sacrifice. So here's the problem, though. The inspectors and the money exchangers charged high prices for their services. They took something that God required of everyone, and they used it as an opportunity to price gouge. 
This is just like when the Roman Catholic Church monetized indulgences. With a generous donation, you can buy an indulgence, which is a printed letter that reduces the penalty of your sin. Go ahead and get those letters, ushers. Anybody? Generous donation. I mean, there was even a time back then where you could purchase indulgences not just for yourself, but for your dead relatives as well. I mean, if Uncle Fred, you thought Uncle Fred went to hell when he died, don't worry about him. You can just buy an indulgence and get it all taken care of. So how do you feel about the Roman Catholic Church taking advantage of people by exploiting the grief that they had over their dead relatives? How do you feel about that? How do you feel about the inspectors and the money exchangers taking advantage of their own people by exploiting something God had provided? How do you feel about that? Maybe you're ready to make your own whip and overturn some tables. And that's why Jesus was so upset. His family, the Jewish people, were being taken advantage of. And the next verse ties it all together and reveals something about following Jesus. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. And so here's what we learned. To follow Jesus, I must passionately protect my church family. You see, back then the temple was considered God's house because it's where God's household, the Jewish people, gathered together. Just like your house is where your family gathers, right? Let me ask, if someone tried to break into your house, would you be passionate about protecting your house? If somebody was trying to take advantage of one of your your spouse or your kids, would you be passionate about protecting them? So we learn from Jesus that we should see our church the same way. This is our household of faith. This is our family. And we should be passionate about protecting each other. If someone's taken financial advantage of somebody else here at church, we should crack the whip and get it taken care of. If someone comes in and they bicker and they gossip and they try to destroy unity, we should run them off with a whip. Who's the whip maker in here? This is no different than when a virus is trying to attack your body. Are you going to sit back and say, well, you know, this virus is a living organism and I'd hate to get rid of it or hurt its feelings. No, you're going to do everything you can to get that virus out of your house. We are the body of Christ, and we cannot tolerate things that come in and try to destroy us. You can't tolerate it. Passion for God's house must consume us. We must have a passion for the body of Christ. And all this reminds me of a very destructive trend in Christianity over the past decade or so. Being in ministry, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people come up to me and say, I don't need to be part of a church. I have my own relationship with God. And this is the equivalent of saying, I don't need my body. I just need my head. Oh, really? Well, let's just go ahead and try that out. See how it goes for you. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the body. You can't have one without the other. The head needs the body. The body needs the head. And you know, when you get rid of your body, your head no longer has oxygen. That's why every Christian who separates themselves from the body of Christ gets a little crazy. They just can't think straight anymore. They don't have oxygen in their brain. Maybe you've been there, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I just hope you learn that you shouldn't do that again. (laughs) But I get it. The body of Christ isn't perfect. Your feelings will get hurt at some point. You're going to disagree with people. You're going to be let down. But let me ask you this. When you hurt your toe, do you say, that's it? I'm getting rid of my body. No, you give special attention to your toe, (laughs) and you help it. And that's how the body of Christ should work, because the reality is hurting people hurt people. 
So if, you're get, if you get hurt by somebody, you should dig in and be like, you know what's really going on in your life? Amen? Is this fun? Good. You know, this reminds me of last week whenever we examined the story of the woman at the well. She said some things that could have hurt Jesus' feelings. He said some things that could have hurt hers. But in the end, the woman found freedom. So last time I showed you the full version of that story from the TV series called The Chosen. But I actually want to show you an abbreviated version of that story again today because there's something new that we're going to learn from it today. So go ahead and take a look. The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. <gasps> exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank Him, even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper He's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes, it explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? 
have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> Hey, wait! Your water! You forgot your um. You know, every story in the Bible has so many layers of meaning. So many layers. And last time I pointed out how Jesus used grace and truth to lead this woman to salvation. But today I want to point out something else. Did you catch the, the part where Jesus said that she was the first person that he revealed that he was the Messiah? The first person. So get this. He told a woman who is rejected by everyone else the most important thing that we all need to know. And then she went out and told all of her friends and family, and many believed because of her testimony. And you know, Jesus probably could have accomplished the same thing on his own. He could have walked into that village like a boss, healed everybody, and said, yep, I'm the Messiah. That's me. But that's not how he did it. He would have rather partnered with this woman. He wanted to partner. So instead of doing it all by himself, Jesus reached out to a woman that most of us would probably look over, and he partnered with her to reveal himself as the Messiah to the entire village. And this is a good time to back up just a little bit in the book of John when the disciples were baptizing, and what we, Jesus and the disciples, and what we find out is that Jesus didn't baptize anybody. The disciples were doing all the baptizing. So once again, Jesus could have done it all himself, and I bet you people were pressuring Jesus. Will you baptize me? Come on, you're, you got to do the baptizing. He's like, nope, I trust my disciples to handle that. And this is incredible. And now I just want to turn it over to Jesus to tie this all together in a parable. Because after his conversation at the well with the Samaritan woman, the disciples were worried because Jesus hadn't eaten in a while. And some of y'all can relate to that. I mean, you miss a meal and you get worried, right? Am I going to make it? So they were worried. And while they were urging Jesus to eat, Jesus used the opportunity to teach him something. And he said, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. You have to love these like perplexing one-liners from Jesus, right? Can you imagine like being with him like, oh, okay. I mean, it's kind of like a hook, like, okay, uh, tell me more. <laughs> What's going on here? Um, of course, Jesus or the disciples responded in a way that we probably would too. Be like, did, did somebody bring you food while we were gone? I mean, who brought the Chick-fil-A? Who did that? But I'm sure Jesus had a good laugh about this, but then he explained it to him. He said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. 
Notice that Jesus wasn't here to elevate himself. He wasn't here on his own mission. No, he was here to do the will of God. He was here to finish God's work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. I love that part of the scripture, and I don't have time to get into it. But all this poverty nonsense that's taught in the body of Christ, you have to ignore so much of the Bible to even believe that stuff. All right, I got to go on, though. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits the planter and the harvester alike? So Jesus is comparing farming to salvation here. Just like farmers have to plant and wait and then harvest, when you lead somebody to Jesus, you got to plant, wait, and then harvest. We think it should all happen in one Sunday, though. That's not how Jesus told us it would. But he goes on to explain. You know the saying, one plants and another harvest. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will go gather the harvest. I want you to notice that he didn't say one plants and the same one harvests. He didn't say that. He's making a point that we have to work together to lead people to Jesus. Some are responsible for planting the word of God in the hearts of others. Others are responsible for harvesting that word and leading the person to salvation. So there you have it. Really, the word that the Holy Spirit gave us for 2022 has been revealed to you today. And here's what it is. To follow Jesus, I must pursue team, partnership, working together. This isn't about me. It's not about you. It's about what we can do together. You know, every time we gain clarity on following Jesus, it really sheds light on Satan's attempts to seal, kill, and destroy. And that's why there's so much pressure to be more important than those around you. That's what I loved about the encounter Beth and I had with those doctors yesterday. They didn't position themselves as more important than us, even though I was sitting there in my sweats. We just had a great conversation between the two of us. But there's a lot of pressure to do that. There's a pressure to be the boss, to develop a following. And it's because Satan doesn't want us working together. He wants us off doing our own thing. He's happy whenever we do that. And many, that's why many of us often think, you know, no one can do it as good as me. So I'm just going to have to do it myself. Anybody? Don't raise your hand. Although I could. All I can say about that attitude, though, is pride comes before a fall. I hope you can learn from my mistakes because it doesn't turn out well. I mean, God spent literally years getting this across to me. I guess I'm a slow learner with some things. Not too long ago, I never asked anybody to do anything for one of two reasons. I either thought that I could do it better or I thought that they didn't want to do it anyways. And you know what that got me? Yep, overworked, overwhelmed, burnt out, full of myself. Look at me, lacking relationships. Turns out people don't really want to hang out with somebody that's like that. I got to a place where I even couldn't go any further on my own, like I was stuck. And so I was dissatisfied with where I was at. And that's what life looks like when you don't pursue team. God designed us to work together. We are the body of Christ. We each have a specific function. We're to discover that function, develop it, and bring it together so it can be completed alongside others. Just like it says in Ephesians, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You have a special assignment in the body of Christ. And as you engage in that assignment, it helps the other parts grow. How cool is that? We can't do this without you. This can't just be the leaders of the church and nobody else. This can't just be 50% of the church and not the other 50%. No, we need everybody to engage what God, the assignment God has given you for the body of Christ. 
And we can't allow ourselves to be jealous of somebody else's gift or somebody else's assignment. We can't fall into the trap of thinking that some gifts are more important than others because every person in the body of Christ is equally as important. We can't function without each other. We need you. If you choose to take a back seat, this church will never fulfill what God has called it to fulfill. It can't just be one person doing it. But if we all fully engage in our own special work and we bring it all together, this church will accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. So some of you are probably wondering what your assignment is. What is my assignment? And some of you already know your assignment, but you're intimidated by it. But I want to start with those who are struggling to discover your assignment, because the truth is, God has already wanted, he's always wanted to reveal it to you. He's not holding it back from you. And you, you might be thinking, okay, that's a great thing for you to say, but it's the truth, and I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. It's found in 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 2, verse 9. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Well, that didn't really help, did it? Y'all sabotaging me back there, putting this verse on the screen. No, I did that on purpose because I want you to see the very next verse, which says, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. All that stuff about no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can know. There's people still singing that today. That's old covenant stuff. That's how it used to be. But it's not like that anymore. Now God has given his, us his spirit and he's revealed these things to us. Let's keep reading for clarity. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. Aren't you thankful? Sometimes, right? And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And if you stop reading there, you're like, I'm sunk again, right? But let's keep reading. And we have received God's spirit not the world spirit. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. How good is that? You can know. He wants you to know specifically what your assignment is. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.